Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. It's a famous quote by Winston Churchill. Some definitions of failure are the lack of success or repeating the same mistakes over and over again and not changing your habits or actions and learning from those mistakes. It can also be looked at as non-fulfillment. I want to share a bit of a bit of my timeline of my mistakes that I've made in different phases of my life. I definitely don't look at them as failures because I guess of how in alignment, content and happy and fulfilled I am in life at this point in time. If I was still living the way now these days that I share with you of how I was living and making those mistakes, if I was still living that way, then I guess that would mean I was still making the poor choices out of alignment and therefore maybe they would be failures. This episode, actually thinking about it and unpacking it has been a great process for me because it's allowed me to realize how freaking close I've come on multiple occasions to taking the wrong turn in life and having regrets or living a reality that I truly didn't want. I can take you back to when I was 15 years old. I remember sneaking into a pub when I... when, yeah, when I was 15 years old, in the small country town that I grew up in, uh, in Cobar. And I was playing pool with the 21-year-olds who I went in with, and I was drinking underage and thinking that I was king shit. I was looking at all the older blokes at the bar, drinking and having big belly laughs and nudging each other as they took the piss out of each other. And I found myself looking at them and admiring them and admiring that lifestyle. I remember this one time so vividly, not because of the fun and the thrill of being underage, but mostly because one of the guys, one of the 21-year-olds sat with me at one stage and he said, pointing to some guys at the bar, he said, see that bloke over there? He could have played footy in the NRL at the top level. He was an awesome footballer, but he pissed it up the wall. And see that bloke beside him? He could have played cricket for Australia. Or probably played footy at the top level too. He was an awesome athlete, but he pissed it up the wall. I remember looking at those guys who I'd just been admiring because of the freedom of drinking and having fun in a pub and straight away thinking, well, fuck that. I'm not going to be one of those could have beens. I won't be sitting at the bar with people uh, around me whispering how I could have been an athlete, but I pissed it up the wall. And that stuck in my mind so strongly over the next few years while I was still at school and it kept me determined. It was part of what kept me determined to make it as either a top level sprinter or an NRL footballer. And I had contract opportunities in both of those sports at that stage. You know what? That still didn't stop me from underage drinking and partying. I was in an environment where that was the norm. And that's not to blame that. I was responsible for all of my actions, but that was the normal thing that was happening around me. Although the percentage that I did that, underage partying and drinking compared to those around me was significantly less. And I still did all of my other commitments to ensure that when I finished school, I had opportunities to be an elite athlete, not the pisshead at the bar. And I did. When I finished year 12, I turned down contracts from top level football teams in the NRL and accepted the opportunity to train full time at the Australian Institute of Sport as a sprinter. So 
at this time, I was 17 years old and, and left home, moved out on my own. And it was so clear that all I wanted to achieve was Commonwealth Games representation and potentially world champs as a sprinter. <laughs> as I say that, I think I clearly wasn't relentless in my sport because I didn't have that, oh, I'm going to be Australia's best best sprinter. I didn't have that mentality. But I had goals and visions. And that period of time, I was training full-time at the AIS as an athlete. I was also studying full-time. Uh, and it was a two-and-a-half-year full-time diploma, and an advanced diploma in soft tissue therapy. And I was working some random jobs part-time at the same time. I learned a lot during my time at the AIS and I progressed so much as an athlete and I smashed my personal best performances in the 100 and the 200 meters, but I didn't achieve my goals and visions to represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games or at the World Champs. Failure or not? Hmm. Two and a half years later, after getting to the AIS, I... I left to go and work. <laughs> Here's a funny little tangent in life. I left to go and work at the Meatworks at a small mining town in central Queensland called Biloela. I'd kind of lost my passion a little bit for my sport and I was easily distracted, admittedly, by a girlfriend at the time who was almost seven years older than me. And I numbingly thought that she knew everything about life because she'd experienced so much that I hadn't experienced. And... And I kind of just followed in her footsteps thinking, well, maybe I'm in the wrong spot. Maybe if I'm not passionate about this, isn't where I should be. So I quote unquote, took a break from my running with the thought that I can always come back to it and and moved up to Biloela to work in the meatworks. So just before I left the AOS, I applied for a gig as a massage therapist because I was a qualified therapist and I was already working with some of the Paralympic athletes within my squad. And I applied for a gig as a therapist for the Australian Paralympic Athletics team for the 2006 Athletics World Championships, which were to be held in Assen in the Netherlands. And after I left after I left the AOS, and it was a couple of months after moving to the small mining town in Queensland, Biloela, I actually got that job. They called me to say that I would be going away overseas as a therapist. So I spent a month in Europe treating some of the world's best Paralympic athletes uh, in, in track and field and very feeling very much in alignment with who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do professionally, back doing the, the sports massage. It felt really good. After the World Champs, I met my brother and a few of his mates at the Oktoberfest in Germany. Then we road tripped to, to Prague and we partied solid for a couple of weeks. And I'm not proud of this, but at the time of the World Champs, when I was working there as a therapist, there was a few of our staff that were partying a hell of a lot too. So less than six months into my stint at the Meatworks in Biloela, so once I got back from the World Champs, I was back there, I got itchy feet to, to get back into sports massage uh, and being around athletes and high performers again. I didn't know the language at the time, but I was clearly living out of alignment in Biloela at the Meatworks. I was still doing my massage on the side, doing lots of cash jobs, doing a lot of work there and saving money, but clearly was living out of alignment. I was happy enough in life and enjoying my time and with my girlfriend at the time, we traveled a bit, but clearly out of alignment. I then got a job, so I reached out trying to, to follow what was pulling me and got a job at the Gold Coast for what seemed like to be a great opportunity working in a sports massage clinic, which is what I had been yearning for. 
and moved moved to that job and I was treating the Titans NRL team and and many other elite athletes through that clinic and once again feeling like I was back in my element because I was working with professional athletes again however I didn't last long at that job because uh, it actually turned out to be an absolute fucking nightmare of an owner to work for one of the most derogatory pessimistic overruling pig of humans that I've ever come across so another little tangent in life and looking back you know was the move to Biloela was this move were they failures or learning curves so at the same time that I moved to the Gold Coast (laughs) I started doing more TV commercials because I wanted to earn easy money that was why I was doing it there was a former Cobar guy about six or eight years older than me that he came back to town when I was still a teenager and still at high school and he lived on the Gold Coast at that time and I used to see him on heaps of TV commercials and I was kicking the footy around with him one day in Cobar and he was telling us uh, that that he got paid thousands of dollars to lay on the beach and eat ice cream with a beautiful lady for the Weiss Bar commercial that we'd been seeing multiple times every day on the telly and my ears pricked And I remembered that for years. So when I moved to Canberra to the AIS, I signed up to an agency and nailed my first audition with zero acting practice. And that got me lead roles then on some Retrovision commercials. Some of you listening would remember Retrovision. I don't know if they're still alive or not, but uh, some some good ones that actually I've got on VHS because DVDs weren't around then. <laughs> but those those commercials, uh, they then made me look like an experienced actor with a showreel, <laughs> which I clearly wasn't. Actually, I still remember filling out the form at that audition and it asked what previous commercials I'd been in on, on the form for this first one. And I wrote zero. But after this, after I get this role with you guys, I'm sure I'll be doing more with you. I remember writing that. How confident is that? I remember thinking, okay, I'm an athlete. I know that if I step out onto the track to compete and I'm thinking that I'm not as good as the others around me or what if I do something wrong, um, all of those thoughts, if I'm thinking those thoughts, I'm going to perform, I'm not going to perform at my best. So I knew how to shift my mindset for sporting performance So why not treat this audition like a competition and just have the courage to do my best, even though I didn't even know what a freaking audition was. (laughs) A 17-year-old from Cobar, been in the city, this this small city of Canberra for a few months, and here I am ready to rock an audition. (laughs) Actually, that's right. Just as I'm saying this, I remember when I wanted to start the commercials, so I had that thought in my mind uh, when I moved to Canberra, when I wanted to start them, I didn't even... No, you needed an agency representing you. And I, I grabbed the Yellow Pages phone book and I looked up Channel 10, Channel 10 Canberra in the phone book. And I called them and I told them I wanted to start being in commercials. Who do I speak to? What do I do? And after some back and forth confusion from, <laughs> from them, they said, oh, you need to find an agency and register with them and then do acting classes and they'll apply for the auditions for you. I said, cool. What's, what's their number? Where do I find them? She said, you got to do that research on your own. So the next, the next number I looked for in the yellow pages was an agency, which led me to the first audition, the first ads. And actually, I ended up doing a lot of different commercials over time. And, and it was good fun. But after, just after I quit the role at the Toxic Sports Massage Clinic on the Gold Coast, 
<clears throat> I actually landed a role as a body double in a Hollywood-produced film called The Ruins, and Ben Stiller was actually uh, a funder for, for that film. I was the body double for an actor called Jonathan Tucker, and sorry, his name was Jonathan Tucker, and at the time, he had acted beside uh, Bruce Willis and a lot of other lead actors, and, and he was the lead role in a few smaller films. Actually, he's now the lead role in an awesome Netflix series called Kingdom, if you're wondering who Jonathan Tucker is. Anyway, that was a a full-time gig for almost half a year. And that included, what do you do as a, as a body double? Well, you the reason, there was five main actors, so there was five body doubles. Us five body doubles would go there, we're all in our early 20s, and we'd get fed really well, and we'd chill out, and we would have to sit, say if there was a scene around a fire, the five of us would sit around the fire in the positions where the actors were going to be, and they would set up all the cameras around it, they would work out the lighting, they would place all the props in around us, and we just had to sit there to be the shadows for it. That was mostly what we did. So then we would step out, the actors would come in, they'd been getting their makeup on and practicing their lines. They would step in, shoot the scene for however many hours it took and anything in between where they needed to change angles or anything, the us body doubles, we'd jump back in and do that. So yeah, it was a pretty cruisy job. There's a lot of time uh, behind the scenes, us guys hanging out, talking with uh, all the crew behind the scenes and lots of fun activities and and just games and I read more books then than ever and did lots of training on site as well got to know the actors really well which was really cool there's a couple of them that were in X-Men and and a lot of other films Uh, but there was also small parts where if there was a scene for example with my actor where they just needed a zoom in on his hands for a few different shots Um, this was a horror film so there was parts of him cutting up people's legs or uh, (laughs) cooking things on a fire or backing away from dead people and they just needed the the I was going to say the butt shot that's not right because I had pants on but it was behind and uh, uh, of my legs let's say that the leg shot so they would use the body doubles for that so they weren't wasting the actor's time in all of those kind of takes so it was really good fun and at the time, I, I started studying again, so I'd had plenty of time to study on, on set while I was doing those kind of things. But when that gig finished, so that was full time for a while, and when it finished, I started working as a builder's offsider, and I also worked at a bar on the weekends. Um, and I saved great money for that time in life, and I had a lot of fun. I had zero idea of what I was going to do in the future. I didn't really care. I still did a bit of massage work to keep up my skills and was doing work on the side for that, Uh, a little bit with athletes now and again and and just with general population, keep up my skills and my qualifications. But I had no visions or goals for the near or distant future and no passion to be, you know, an amazing therapist and keep learning or anything like that. So I was, I can't even say I was lost. I was just cruising through and, and loving life. As for the acting work, Once again, I found myself absolutely loving the jobs and having heaps of fun and earning decent money, but I got to a point where my agency said, we think it'd be great if you could dedicate time to acting classes or acting school and make a real go of this. Like you're at the point now where you can have a real go at this. It didn't take me long to to weigh up the fact that 90 odd percent of people in the acting industry were unemployed 
or the people that I was meeting that were doing extras roles or body double roles or lead roles in ads like I was, they had two or three sideline jobs because they couldn't make a full-time living from acting. Don't get me wrong, there were some people that I was working beside that were full-time, but they were the minority. It was like 90% or more had other sideline jobs. I wasn't passionate about acting at all. I just enjoyed the gigs, but the acting part, it felt a bit weird, to be honest. Sport, my background, my passion, it's not about acting. It's raw and real and full on. And I hadn't learned that acting could be experienced in that same way. And I didn't have that respect for acting back then. So I said no, and I ended up stopping it altogether. I weighed it up and and thought, well... I'm clearly not passionate about it, so I'm not going to do it anymore. And now I look at true actors and I understand how it's like a sport and a business in so many ways. I have so much respect for it now because I see it differently. In a little bit of a shift, in 2008, I was lucky enough to be offered a gig for the Beijing Paralympics as a massage therapist for the Australian team, which also included a month in the Pyrenees Mountains in France leading up to it with a group of distance runner athletes as we were based there for altitude training camp. I happily told my boss on the building sites, remember I was doing builders off-site work for quite a while, 12, 18 months. Happily told him I'll be gone for four months for this massage gig, uh, which actually started with two weeks in New Zealand for a boys trip with a group of my closest mates and, and a lot of partying, needless to say, and a lot of snowboarding then a week in Cairns with the Paralympic team, then off to France for the altitude training camp, and then on to Beijing for the Paralympics, Uh, and, and then an extended holiday in China by myself after that. And when I was with the athletes and treating the athletes and traveling, I felt that passion and that spark again, and I knew this is, this is what I love. This is what I love. I was really immersed in it, and you know, it's a pretty full-on days, and it was really good. Uh, and I just knew it once again back then I didn't know about living in alignment and out of alignment but I just knew I loved it but when I got back from Beijing I didn't feel like doing massage work anymore I got back to the Gold Coast and I was a bit over it so I looked in the paper and I tried to apply for cleaning jobs One of my best mates who I was living with was an electrician and we both thought it would be really good hours and easy work to allow us to enjoy the Gold Coast lifestyle and uh, and, you know, the, the lifestyle that we had back then and we just wanted to be able to enjoy life and that was the main goal. So I was looking for cleaning jobs and every cleaning job I put a resume in for, I got rejected. I thought, what's going on my resume? Like I've just got back from China. Why don't these people want a great massage therapist? Anyway, I applied for some other jobs and ended up getting two jobs in telemarketing. One of them was selling prepaid pornography franchises to people and one was setting up betting accounts for people. I didn't care what it was. The hours allowed me to enjoy heaps of beach time and it was easy. I didn't need to use my brain much at all. And at that stage of life, that's what I wanted. I didn't have much of a clue about what I was going to do in the future. I didn't spend time worrying about it, but I also didn't spend time setting myself up for it. Around this period of time, my brother and I also bought dozens of vending machines and we had a sideline business of selling soft drink and lollies. And the machines were placed at pubs, mechanics and and heaps of different businesses. (laughs) I look at that now and I see how out of alignment that was for me, selling sugary food and drinks that I knew were bad for people's health and selling products in 
telemarketing that I also had no interest in. Completely out of alignment. Didn't realize it. Anyway, after a while, I got bored and I started working, doing more massage work again and I had the opportunity and super grateful to work with the Paralympic teams again as a massage therapist. I knew I was a good therapist, not in a cocky way, but I knew that anytime I worked with people, we got good results. And this time I started really enjoying it again. I started getting some great opportunities and traveling the world with the wheelchair rugby team, the winter snow ski program. And in 2009, I hit the road for six months and traveled through America, Europe, and then onto Canada for the 2010 2010 Paralympics, uh, the winter Paralympics as their therapist. Traveling that whole time on the snow almost every day, just loving life and treating a lot and doing a lot of other work, P-testing with the athletes, like everything. And, and that was brilliant. Once again, I can't, I reflect on that and realize how connected I was to my work and everything back then. But it also involved a lot of partying, that kind of travel did. And I enjoyed that as well at that time. After that, I was based in Brisbane and I started working with the Brisbane Lions AFL team and the Brisbane Broncos NRL team and at a physio clinic as a therapist, plus still working and traveling a lot with the Paralympic teams. So on the surface, I was living in alignment and doing what I loved. Truthfully, I was partying a lot, eating shit food, not having respect for my mind, body or soul. I wasn't learning at all and I was just enjoying life. Not in a content or fulfilled way, just in a non-caring type of way. God, even when I think about my misunderstanding of health at that time, I remember on hangover days in Brisbane, going for my bag and thinking that I was super healthy, going for my Barocca, my Betadine throat gargle, my ibuprofen anti-inflammatories and thinking, cool, I can mask all that damage with these healthy things. Like I actually thought, one, I could mask it, and two, it was a healthy option. <laughs> no wonder I'm still getting some small issues with my health these days, actually, when I think about how poorly I treated myself over the years. That's part of the reason that I keep digging deeper with the tests and supplement protocols for my gut health with Carl and other professionals. I, I'm living until I'm 110. And I'm running when I'm 110. (laughs) So I've got some damage to make up for. But I believe in my body. I believe in the process. I remember one day sitting at the bar in Brisbane drinking and having heaps of fun with my mates and nudging them and having big belly laughs. It was probably for the third or fourth day that week. And I looked over and I saw a young guy that had just made the NRL team that had been massaging that day. And he was having dinner with his family. And it hit me. Fuck. I'm the drunk guy at the bar that people could whisper about and say, he could have done something with his life, but he pissed it up the wall. I remember my heart just sunk. I kept partying and having fun that night. But that was a turning point for my thoughts and I started to think, if I continue like this, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to wake up and look back and say, fuck, I wish I made a change at that time of my life and pulled my head in and started doing something with my life. (laughs) 
and, and this is why I trust the universe. That week, my old coach from the AIS, she called me and she asked if I'd take a job at the AIS as her assistant scholarship coach, coaching Paralympic athletes in track and field. Not massaging, coaching. I didn't have any coaching qualifications. And I said that to her, I said, sounds great, but you know I'm not a coach, I don't have any qualifications. And she said, exactly. That's why I want you and nobody else. They want me to have a scholarship coach and I wanna be able to teach you how to coach from my decades of proven experience and results. Not you learning from a textbook, Brett, and others and learning from others who don't have the results. I want to teach you the philosophies and the strategies that I have proven that work over and over again. She was a Ukrainian and um, and Irina, like, like my second mother, and her saying this and having this kind of approach was a normal thing. And she'd say things like, Bretty, you can't learn from the Australian coaching system the same as what I can teach you. Trust me. <laughs> I had nothing more than trust for this woman. After a few months of interviews with uh, the Athletics Australia and, and at the AIS, I landed the job, employed by Athletics Australia, and, and I moved to Canberra to start coaching at the AIS. And I was 25, 26 at the time. And the head manager at the time said, Brett, there's only one thing like, you know, happy to give you the job and everything. But at the end of this two and a half year scholarship position, we can't guarantee you a job. There's only a handful of full-time paid athletics coaches in this country. So there's a high chance you won't have employment after this scholarship. Sorry. And I said, no worries, Mick. I'll bleed the AIS dry for every resource and every opportunity it has to offer to make me the best coach that I can be. So at the end of the two and a half year scholarship, you guys will be creating a position for me. (laughs) They were my words. And he laughed and he said, I love it. And I remember saying to myself after those calls and getting that job, I remember saying, right, Brett, this is your chance to dig yourself out of the rut that you've chosen to hide in. Live those words that you just spoke to Mick and make the fucking most of this opportunity. And I did. So I took that job paying first year apprentice wages, probably lower, at the age of 24, 25. And I supplemented my income by massaging after hours with different sporting teams that I got connected with and also coaching boot camp early mornings. I not only loved what I did, in terms of my full-time job and the massage work in the boot camp, but I was also respecting myself more. I started studying on top of all of the jobs that I was doing, and I got a post-grad coaching qualification. I started and, and doing other heaps of other qualifications. Yes, I got my qualification early on in coaching, so needless to say, my career in coaching was valid. I started doing my own physical training with purpose again, and I even put the running spikes back on, and I had a couple of races My nutrition interests and my diligence in that area rose out of sight and I felt happier, healthier, stronger and more purposeful than I had in years. Mentally, I was growing more than ever. My job required an intense amount of learning about disabilities, coaching methodologies, program periodization and everything about the dynamics of high performance sport and how to help athletes be the best. 
and also learn how I could be the best. I was surrounded by some of the world's best coaches in multiple sports and I used them as mentors in so many different ways to continually enhance my knowledge and my experience. Two and a half years later, when my scholarship ended, Athletics Australia created a position for me. I did it. I bled the AIS dry for its abundance of resources and I was coaching Paralympic athletes at the Paralympics and World Championships. So I got relocated with my job uh, to Sydney to, to set up a squad of athletes and run my own program there. Really quite an honor. And I did that for three and a half years and it proved to be successful. I finished my coaching career on a high with, I, I chose to step down quitting my job with Paralympic gold medalists and world record holders in my squad and having developed some extremely talented junior athletes with prosperous futures. This job, as amazing as it was and as connected to my purpose as it was, it still paid bugger all. <laughs> That's the reality of sport. Uh, sorry, a sport like athletics in Australia. There's not much money in it. But I supplemented my income with another job in Sydney and I loved it. And I was a sports massage therapist and sports trainer at the Sydney Swans AFL team for the three and a half years that I was living there. Travelling with those guys and working on game day, it was phenomenal. But I was, I was less than a year into that chapter of my Sydney life when, as most of you long-term listeners would know, that's, that's when my grandparents were tragically murdered and as you've heard me speak about many times on this podcast, that tragedy fucking rattled me. It also made me look even deeper at my life and reassess again to ensure I was truly living in alignment with who I wanted to be and weeding out the disempowering habits and processes and limiting beliefs in my life. I lost a lot within myself because of that tragedy. But I also gained a lot when I worked through it. And reflecting on love, love as, a, as an energy, it's no surprise that only seven months after I moved to Canberra and pulling myself out of the rut that I'd created in Brisbane and making all the lifestyle changes to finally live in alignment again, it's no surprise that I met the woman of my dreams. My now gorgeous wife, Marie, she was an athlete from Sweden and living in Australia for a few months for a high performance training camp. And that was January 2012. And I can still remember that glitter in her eye when we met. And I don't even say that to like, that's the memory that I have, the glitter in her eyes. <laughs> and the funny situation, it played out a bit like a primary school scenario where I told one of the other athletes uh, his his girlfriend's friend Marie, she was a nice girl, and this athlete just cracked up, gave me the wink, and he said, "Don't worry, Robbo, I'll put in a good word for you." <laughs> and fast forward to now, and we have an abundantly aligned and grateful life together, a beautiful, healthy eighteen-month-old baby, and we're blessed to have number two due in February 2021. When we live in an openness to receiving the energy we desire through living our truest versions, we attract the people, the experiences and all of the things into our lives that match who we truly are and truly want to be. 
it's needless to say that since quitting my job, when we talk about that, my full-time job that I was extremely passionate about and obviously great at, that my curious, explorative, aligned self has led me to feel more connected and content than I ever knew was possible. I could talk about this current period of my life that I'm in right now speaking from and that you've heard about on this podcasting journey. I could talk about it for hours, for days. But I also feel like that's what comes through in all of my podcast episodes now and the little bit that I share on social media and and also the people that I'm working with and the people that I'm close with. The periods in my life that I've been most aligned, driven and growing towards healthy, empowering visions and goals have been when I've had strong, supportive coaches, mentors, partners or friends surrounding me. Those who not only believed in me, but challenged me to be better, but also held me accountable. That's what great coaches and mentors and partners and friends do. Held accountable to being that best version of myself. And that's why I continue to thrive in what I do now as a performance coach, working, yes, with elite athletes, but working with everyone. Why I know my passion for coaching is not just about the results I help people achieve physically, mentally, and emotionally, but also because how that drives me to want to learn more about human behavior so I can not only optimize my life and enjoy it more, but also bring that into the lives of everyone around me and support others to live their best lives. From the time that I started the AIS as a coach, I learned, I was gifted this opportunity. I learned how to tap into the power of mentors and invest into other coaches. And that's why I'm still utilizing that skill now. The whole reason I moved to the Gold Coast was to be closer to Nam Baldwin so I could sponge his knowledge, who's become a great friend and and a great mentor. And I've just kept surrounding myself with mentors and friends of this caliber to continually grow and develop. And in a fun way too, not just a serious, you can't ever do anything that's not perfect kind of way. And as for investing into coaches, before we left Sydney, I started working with a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner to, to help me see the world differently create a paradigm shift, help me learn about myself at a deeper level so I could break through limiting beliefs and build my own personal resilience and and my own empowering self so I could also bring this into my coaching. And actually thinking back at it about that, that investment was big for me at the time. Spending a thousand dollars a month on the one coach. It was huge for me back then. But man it was worth it. And I've been investing into Carl Hewen for years now to help me do the deeper tests and optimize my health and well-being through the gut health aspects. I've paid for many coaches and courses to keep growing and developing personally and once again to add to my tool belt of what I can use with my clients. And actually, at the time of this recording, I'm paying for a business coach for a few months to teach me and guide me on areas of my business that I want and need improvement in. I'm in a totally different situation in life at the moment. I see the world differently compared to what I did when I was stuck in those ruts and living out of alignment. You would have heard it all before of how important it is to surround yourself with the right people. And there's the saying that you are a product of the five people you spend the most time with. So choose that wisely. Your investments to your mentors, your investments to your coaches, your investments to your relationships, your investments to your partners, your investments to your family, your investments to yourself. 
at the most fun times of my life, I was surrounding myself with those kind of people who I could lie to, lie to myself around them and live in the toxic spiral of mental self-destruction. And what I mean by that is not the lying and stealing type of lying. I mean lie in the way of not even knowing what my truth was about who I wanted to be or how I truly felt about my existence. The lying that most of us do when we haven't done the work and explored who we are and who we really want to be and what the fuck we're going to do about it. I had no idea for a lot of that time. I don't coach people in the way to help them avoid the mistakes that I've made. We're all experiencing life exactly how we should. It's a matter of being fully aware of how your choices are helping or hindering you. Are they setting you up for the life you truly want to live or are they temporarily numbing the truth behind who you truly are or truly want to be? I share this bit of a journey of chapters of my life for you to know that I've fucked up. I've done the dumb shit and I've chosen to live the easy life and go nowhere. And I've also done the work to shift out of that rut. My ruts these days are not about living out of alignment. I'm super freaking grateful now to be fully aware how every choice, thought, action, interaction, everything affects me. And I'm super grateful that the challenges now are more around not challenging myself enough, especially physically, but also mentally. I'm also looking at how can I challenge myself more in different ways. (laughs) In saying that, parenting is by far the most freaking challenging long-term experience I've ever been exposed to. I've certainly had some fucking tough short-term emotional challenges, but parenting, (laughs) a whole new ballgame. God, and at the time of this recording, I'm only 18 months into that journey. Anyway, here's a real Aussie question to ask. What are you after? And here's a clearer way to frame that. What's the life you truly desire? Who do you want to be in the future and in the present? Clarity is key to really get the most out of your life. If you don't have any desires, visions, goals, but mostly visions of amazing relationships, living arrangements, freedom or fulfillment, then you might find yourself in the rut like I was. My truth was blinded by the fun I was having and not realizing I was going backwards in life. I didn't have any goals or visions for a while. And in one way, I could say, oh, that was great because I was living in the moment. But realistically, that moment in time was not serving me. What are you after and what are you going to do about it? So what I mean by that is, what's the life you truly desire and what actions are you going to take now to begin that shift now? Goals and visions are not just something to work towards. They actually are more powerful as something to work from. The visions of who you want to be in the future allow you to say, right, how would that version of myself act now if I was already living that version of myself Your goals and visions give you permission and clarity to act that way now, not waiting until you get there, 
wherever there is before thinking that you can be that version of yourself. Our past doesn't define our future. Our thoughts and actions do. Ask yourself these few questions. How clear am I on where I'm heading in life? Are the people around me supporting me to live my best life or are they pessimistic and negative? Do I have coaches, mentors or accountability groups to help me grow and thrive? Am I ready to take radical responsibility for my thoughts, feelings and actions and really make a difference in my life? Our past does not define our future. Our thoughts and actions right now do. What are you after and what are you going to do about it?